0: Well, good morning again, church family. It's so great to see you. If you've been with us at all, um, over the last couple of weeks, you know that we are in a sermon series called Entrusted, in which we are looking at this big picture, Genesis to Revelation vision of what it means to be made in God's image and entrusted with everything good that he's given us as his steward, one of the great callings of our lives. So this morning, uh, we're looking at this really interesting theme of stewarding our vocations. And so... We're returning again to Genesis 1 and 2, where we've been spending a lot of our time. So I ask you to turn in your Bibles or in your bulletins to page 7. I'll be reading from selections from Genesis 1 and 2. So you can follow along with me there. Let's hear God's word. First from Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let's make mankind in our image and our likeness So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then chapter 2, verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. I grew up in a pretty happy home with a mom and a dad and a little sister, and my parents very generously from the time we were very young included my sister and me into the labor of the home. Uh, This, when we were children, this was mostly just kind of uh, chores as you might expect them to be, but as we got older, and the older we got, the more serious and mature responsibilities they intended to entrust to us. And so when I was about 12 or 13, my dad decided he would build this massive deck um, off the back of our house, and he uh, enlisted me uh, very reluctantly into the work. I still believe that he just sort of made up this project just to get me involved. About the same time, my mom uh, decided that my sister and I were old enough so that she declared that each of us would cook a dinner once a week which for me was mostly just fish sticks with American cheese melted on the top, not very appetizing. And you know, at the time, I really didn't like this at all. I deeply resented it, actually. Um, but in hindsight, I'm so grateful for it because I am certain that the deck would have been much more structurally sound and certainly the family meals would have been much more appetizing had my parents not entrusted us with such responsibilities. And yet, I just had parents Bletham, who delighted in our participation more than they desired a good meal (laughs) or a perfect product. And that is a beautiful picture of what vocational stewardship is about. We have been saying each week that to be a steward means to be entrusted with something precious. It means that God has taken something that is really beautiful and really good and precious and has entrusted it to you as his steward to use not for your purposes but for God and God's purposes in the world. Two weeks ago, we looked at how God has entrusted you with the earth, asked you to care for his good earth. Uh, Last week, we looked at how God has entrusted you with wealth, with money, with possessions, asked you to use it for his purposes. And this week, we're looking at how God has given to us work, our vocations, that just like my parents inviting my sister and me into the common labor of the home, God has in this sort of astonishing way invited human beings to partner with him in the labor cultivation sustaining of all creation to care for his world, to love our fellow humans and to extend his kingdom. We're called to be stewards of our vocations. Now, let me just say this as a word about work because I know, just looking at you, I see that we are all in very different situations with our work. Some of you work full time with a career, Others of you are part-time workers. Some of you are full-time in an unpaid way, laboring with small children in your home. Uh, Some of you, I see, are retired. Others of you are unemployed and you're looking for a job. A lot of you are students, and so your your work is really different. You're working in a school every day. But let me just say this. Work is a huge part of what we do as human beings. It probably makes up eight-tenths of our lives. And so let me just tell you this. If the gospel of Jesus Christ has nothing to say about our work, where we spend the great majority of our time, if the gospel of Jesus has nothing to say about the meaning, the place, and the purpose of our work in the world, then let me just suggest to you the gospel is meaningless. It's irrelevant because it has nothing to say about where we spend the great majority of our days. But here's the good news, brothers and sisters, it is not meaningless. That the gospel is the good news that God has entered into history through the person of Jesus Christ, not only to save us from our sin, but to renew and redeem all things. And that means if you know Jesus Christ, not only do you have new life in him so that you can actually do your work differently, but you're actually invited by God Himself, the worker of all creation to participate with him in what he is doing in the world. You actually have the opportunity through your labor to join God in the renewal of all things. And that is an amazing gift. It's an amazing privilege to steward our work. So if we're gonna learn what it means to be stewards of our vocations, there's a couple of things we have to really grasp and really understand about the Bible's vision of work. The first is this, if we've gotta grasp The goodness of work. That each of you, each of you, just like we just sang, God says, I have called you by name, and each of you are entrusted with a certain capacity for work that only you can do. You've been given that. Notice the Bible, I read Genesis 1 and 2. The Bible doesn't begin with human beings as sinners, it begins with us as image bearers, as people made in God's image, made like God, and then called to join Him. In work. You know, a common view of work is that it's a burden, that it's a necessary evil. Maybe it's even sort of a part of the curse. I remember thinking as a teenager, man, if Adam only hadn't sinned, I could just lay on the beach all day. You know, too bad for, too bad for me. But it's this, a lot of Christians even think that work is somehow part of the curse of sin. Let me tell you, that is not Christian, that where that idea came from is not the Bible. It came from, honestly, Greek philosophy and mythology. Do you remember um, the myth of the Pandora's box? Do y'all, have y'all learned about that one? Where Pandora um, opens the dreaded box, the forbidden box, and all the most terrible things fly into the world. Death, sickness, pestilence. And do you remember what else was in the box? Work. Work was in the box. If only she hadn't done it, you know, we wouldn't have to work. So, And then even Aristotle and Plato, if you read some of their works, what you'll see is that what they believed is that um, To truly be an enlightened human being is to be like the gods. And that means that to be detached from work, that work is made for slaves and servants, and the truly enlightened human being will become like the gods by detaching from labor and enjoying contemplation and philosophy. That's where we get that idea from. But that is not the Bible. Because when we open the Bible, what do we find? First of all, we find a God who is working from page one. All these verbs are attributed to God in Genesis 1 and 2. God creates, God makes, God gathers, God produces, God sets, God orders, God plants, God digs, God works. And every time, not only does he work, but every time he makes or does something, it says he delights in it. He says, man, that was good. It's like, you know, if you baked an amazing pie and you set it up on the counter and it smells amazing and looks delicious, you know? It's like, man, that's good. If you Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're like, you made an amazing Excel spreadsheet. And, and you're just like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. And you're just feeling the delight of that, right? I mean, that's what God is doing. He is delighting in the labor of his creation. And he creates men and women, chapter 2, 15, to actually share in that delight with him. He says, hey, y'all, I made this garden here. Verse 8 and 9, God gardens. He makes the garden. And then he says, I'm going to make you co-gardeners with me, co-rulers with me, so that you can taste the same delight that I do in the labor of Of all creation. And notice the kind of work that God gives us. It's really amazing, y'all. God makes us gardeners, not park rangers. You know, He doesn't say, Here, I want you to just keep it just the same. Whatever you do, don't kill the shrubs. You know, just keep it alive, y'all. That's all I want you to do. No, God doesn't say that. What does He do? He says, I want you to be gardeners. In other words, I want you to produce new things with this ground. You know, I want you to tend it and till it and break it up, rearrange it, dig it down, make something new, produce fruit out of it, produce harvest out of it. I love what the philosopher Al Walter says: that God created and left the world deliberately unfinished. And then he calls us as his representatives to carry on with where he left off. Isn't that amazing? It's like God commissioned us to do something with the The raw materials of creation, the disparate parts of creation, God actually called us to be like him, to make order out of chaos, to take the things that are separated and to create something new out of it. We get to be like God through our labor. So if you are an entrepreneur or you're a business person, uh, what are you doing? You're taking disparate human elements and you're creating a new product. You're creating new wealth. You're actually creating something that wasn't there before. You're you're like God. If you're an artist, you're taking disparate physical elements and producing something that didn't exist previously, a sculpture or a painting. You're you're like God. If you're a, a manager and you take over a dysfunctional department or a terrible organization and you make it productive, you make it profitable, you create new jobs, what are you doing? You're behaving like God. If you're a teacher, and you're teaching kids to read and bringing their potential out, things that were not there previously before, you're mirroring God. If you're a nurse or a doctor or a dentist and you're taking disordered bodies or disordered teeth or, and, you're, and you're bringing health and order, uh, if you're a therapist or a counselor and you're taking a disorderly mind or soul and you're bringing wholeness, if you're a barber or a hairdresser and you're taking disorderly hair uh, and you're restoring order and making beauty, you know, if you're a janitor a carpenter a landscaper an architect, you're taking disparate physical places in the environment and restoring order to the physical environment that you live in. Do you see what you're doing is you're being like God. You're his child. You're, 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 the, you're, you're mirroring the God who teaches, plants, designs, gardens, heals, fixes, creates, repairs, serves, invests, parents, and grows. What a gift. And so that's the first thing you gotta understand is that God made you and then said, I want you to be like me. In this way, I want you to labor along with me. And what that means is that every work, every field of work is holy and good. It has dignity and beauty. Sometimes Christians, even now, have this like false pyramid, this hierarchy of vocations in which certain jobs or certain fields of work are better, if you're a more serious Christian, you will do, you know, uh, like so at the very top, if you're really serious about Jesus, you'll be a cross-cultural missionary, Right? At the very top. If you're not quite as serious as that, you'll be like me. You'll be a, a pastor, a full-time Christian, right? If you're not quite so serious, but still a little bit serious, you'll like work for a nonprofit. Just below that would be like the helping professions, you know, doctors, nurses, social workers, and then you'd go down, to, you know, maybe to, to the service industry, and you keep going down and down and all the way down to the bottom. You've got the lawyers and the people who work for Capital One. You know, <laughs> down at the bottom. You know, you pretty much are just backslidden if you're down there, right? Now, now look, if, if you believe the Bible, my brothers and sisters, if you believe the Bible and you believe the gospel, you gotta blow up that pyramid. You gotta stick some dynamite in there and blow that thing to pieces. Why? Because it's heresy. It's not true. If, if everything that I said is just true, every work is holy. Every profession is a calling. Uh, whether you are studying algebra, Or if you've got your fingers in poop every day, changing diapers, or whether you're managing a stock portfolio or crunching numbers or painting a wall or mailing a card to a grandchild to encourage them, you are doing something valuable that mirrors God's image. Isn't that amazing? Think about this time tomorrow. Where will you be? Think about how the whole trinity is shining with happiness on you in what you're doing. The Father delights in you. Jesus is with you. The Spirit fills you. What you're doing is good. Good labor in the kingdom of Jesus. It also means that every person you meet has great dignity and value. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of us are, we tend to have a more white-collar, educated congregation. And unfortunately, people like us tend to believe the Greek mythology more than the Bible sometimes. And we tend to look down on people in the service industry. And maybe sort of look with disdain on You know, the people who mow the lawns and blow the leaves and serve food in the restaurant or at the club or Walmart greeters, cashiers at Target, right? But y'all, we worship a God who gardens. We worship a God who when he showed up on the earth, he didn't come as a philosopher or a king or a white-collar worker. He was a blue-collar manual laborer. And so every person, is worthy of so much dignity, so much respect. Every person bears God's image. Nothing is ordinary, everything is holy. The goodness of work. Second though, we we gotta really see the purpose of work if we're gonna be good stewards of our vocation. Why do you work? Why do you want a job when you grow up? ever thought about that? Make money, Uh, make your imprint on the world, provide for your family, Uh, self-fulfillment, personal advancement. You know, all those things are fine. I'm not saying those are bad things. Of course you have to provide for your family and put food on your table. I'm just saying that the Bible says if you're a Christian, that's not sufficient. That according to the Bible, one of the main reasons for our work, the main purposes for our work, is to partner with God and advancing his kingdom. That one of the main reasons of work is not for yourself and for your own provision, but is for God, so that God can get what God wants done. In the world, Genesis 1 and 2, God puts humans in the garden, uh, not just to provide for their own needs, but to make the world a good place for other people, right? To help the world flourish, to make the world a just, good, beautiful, and lovely place for other people to live in. So work makes us useful. It makes us beneficial to the people around us. Somebody who I love, who wrote, who wrote about this a lot, was the reformer Martin Luther. Martin Luther, one of the funniest and best things that Martin Luther ever wrote was a letter to his barber in which he was trying to convince his barber why his work was holy. And he, this is what he said. He said, you know when we pray the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread? He said, what do you think we're praying for when we say, give us this day our daily bread? Are we praying, are we hoping that God drops your, your pita or your whole wheat bread like out of the sky just drops it in your lap We're not Israelites living in the desert No, when we say give us this day our daily bread What are we doing? We're praying for human labor We're praying for the people Who help get the bread from the field To the table So I had a bowl this morning of cereal Before I came This feels like a long time ago when I had it um, <laughs> It was uh, a Quaker Oatmeal Squares That's the best cereal I think Super good Anyway uh, <laughs> um, So, you know, I was just thinking, and I was eating it this morning, about all the people who helped get that bowl of cereal to my table. You know, farmers had to plant and cultivate wheat and raise cows. Scientists had to check the food for purity. Um, Bankers had to arrange for financing. Businessmen had to create the corporation that produced it. Businessmen and women, excuse me. Engineers uh, created the farm equipment. Warehouse workers uh, loaded it onto the trucks. Drivers drove the vehicles. Crews laid the miles of interstate highway. Police kept the highway safe. Store workers loaded it into the shelves at the grocery store. Uh, and, and a cashier rung me out when I bought it. All that from my bowl of cereal. All those people for my happy breakfast. Isn't that amazing? So all work can be a form of love and service to neighbor because all work is contributing to the common life of the world. So here's what I'm saying. God designed work not just to be about you and your fulfillment. Work is a form of love. Work is a form of service. God wants us to use our work to sustain the common good, to love other people and extend his kingdom in the world. This is not the way that we are raised to think about work. We are raised to think about work in our very individualistic society that our jobs are about us and our personal fulfillment and to meet our own needs and to pat our own nests. But according to God, that's bad stewardship. Remember what we said last week. God has given you money and wealth, not just for yourself, but to steward for God's purposes in the world. Same with our work. God has given you your capacities, abilities, and your job and your career, not for yourself, but to use for his purposes in the world what God wants done on the earth. You are a steward. I love this verse from the Old Testament. It says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices, when the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Now, you might say, that's a strange verse to love, Pastor Corey. Why do you, why do you, why do you like that? But well, listen what it's saying. It's saying, imagine a city in which certain people are prospering, okay? Certain people are doing really well in their work. They're making their way up the corporate ladder. They're performing really well. They're getting promotions. They're making a lot of money. They're at the top. Now, here's what's strange. What is hap- what's the city doing as these people advance to the top? What's the city doing? It's rejoicing, which is really strange if you think about it because usually, in human nature is, as people rise to the top, what do people at the bottom do? Grumble, complain, resent, envy, right? Rich keep getting richer, poor keep getting poor. Not these people because these people are different because as they prosper, the city is celebrating. Why? Because in the book of Proverbs, the righteous ones are the people who use all of their assets not for themselves, but press it into the good of the community, and the wicked are those who live not for the community, but who live for themselves. So the reason the righteous rejoice is, I mean, the reason the city rejoices is because the righteous people are taking all of their wealth, all of their power, all of their privilege, all of their platform, all of their networks, and they are using it, pressing it in to the joy and the justice of the city that they live in. That's vocational stewardship. When work is just about you, you are living in the path of the wicked. People who work and live for their own profit and advantage and companies that work exclusively for their own profit and gain will always end up hurting the world rather than healing it will always result in cut corners, poor service, unjust wages, polluted rivers, dead end jobs, dehumanizing bureaucracy and a whole lot of meaningless lives. But the steward recognizes my life's not my own anymore. Jesus Christ has died and risen and claimed me forever. Grace has seriously messed up my life. So I can no longer live for myself and my own purposes. Now everything I am and everything I do is now meant to live and surrender to God and what God is doing in the world. And so now whether you are in the field of law or medicine, education or public policy, finance, IT, real estate, development, art, service industry, God has put you in these places to use your opportunities, your influence, your gifts, to help make our community more resemble the kingdom of Jesus. That's what work is for. Don't, kids, kids, students, I especially want you to hear me on this. Don't ever choose a job just for money. There are a whole lot of jobs out there that are perfectly legal, in which you can make a lot of money. But in the end, do not strengthen the fabric of the community. Instead of asking what will make me the most money, and give me the most success, ask, how has God made me? And what with my existing abilities and capacities and experience, can I be of the greatest service to other human beings for the glory of God? That's how you choose your work. Work as a steward. So let's get practical here at the end. What does that mean? Well, this is the best book I've ever read on this subject. It's called Kingdom Calling by my friend Amy Sherman. And good news, um, with This podcast with this sermon, we're going to release a little bonus podcast of me interviewing Amy about her book so that we can really get into the nitty gritty because I don't have time to do that now. But this is what Amy says. I love this. She says, vocational stewardship is the intentional and strategic deployment of our vocational power. Do you hear that? It's the deployment of our vocational power, knowledge, platform, network, position, influence, skill, and reputation using all of that to advance not my agenda, but foretaste of God's kingdom in the world. That's a beautiful vision of what it means for you to be a steward of your work. She suggests a few ways to do this. I'll just touch on them briefly. First one, she says, bloom where you're planted. What you do every day is one of your highest callings. And you can do it in a way that surrenders to Jesus, that seeks to embody Jesus and the values of his kingdom, in and through your work. So let me just give you some examples. My friend Demetrius uh, is a mid-level employee at a hotel out near the airport. Demetrius does not have a lot of power or a lot of platform in his work. And yet Demetrius does his work with great honesty and excellence. He treats every person that comes in the hotel with dignity and honor. And he especially cares for the staff and the housekeepers, the people who clean the rooms and put out the trash. He treats them as The noble people of dignity that they are. And as a result, he is held in high esteem and is greatly trustworthy in this little hotel in the East End. On the other hand, there's many of us here who do have considerable influence in ways of shaping the places where we work. So for example, my friend Don, down in Winston-Salem, took over his family's used car dealership. Now you would not think of a used car dealership as a place where you can express the kingdom of God. (laughs) Uh, The typical approach to sell each car, as you know, is for the highest price you can, which unfortunately means salespeople are rewarded for driving up prices, which often benefits people in our society with the most privilege and power. So what Don realized is that women in minorities were paying more for their cars than the typical customer. And so what he did is he decided to do something pretty radical in the car industry. He set a flat rate on all the cars they sell, no negotiating. He created equal opportunity pricing across all of his industries. And he began giving huge amounts of the profit back into the community. Not only has Don's uh, car dealerships received many awards for ethical business practices, but they've become the most profitable car dealership in the entire state of North Carolina. So what this means is that doing work in this way is more than just wearing a WWJD bracelet and not swearing in the break room, right? You hear what I'm saying? Uh, That actually being a Christian And a steward of work is actually far more robust than that. It's thinking about how the kingdom impacts the whole life of your work, how employees are selected and trained and paid, how the firm's profits are used, how your business impacts the environment, how your products are designed, how you relate to others in the industry, how your business contributes to the community. That's a vision of what vocational stewardship is all about. Just real quick, another thing that we can do is we can donate our skills. Many of you do this. It could mean using your skills in ways that benefit people who are on the front lines of kingdom work. So many doctors and dentists among you donate your time to crossover health clinic that works with the uninsured in Richmond. Uh, I know builders, developers, real estate agents, and designers in our congregation who've partnered with Urban Hope to help create equitable and affordable housing in the East End. My friend Ron Beadle, who's a civil engineer, he travels to Haiti each year to help design clean water systems after many of the infrastructure has been decimated by disasters there. So donating your skills means using the God-given skills and abilities that God has given you to serve not your own agenda only, but his mission in the world. And then finally, another thing we can do is to launch a social enterprise. This is what Andy Crouch calls culture-making. Andy says the only way to change culture is to create more culture. And Christians can do that creatively. So a few years ago, we were struggling about what to do about the payday lending shops in Richmond. Many of these lending institutions take advantage of the poor by offering high cost short term loans to people who can't get traditional loans, really trapping a lot of poor people in Richmond in debt. So, some folks in our church and a few other churches, including um, Brian Redmond, who's an entrepreneur in our congregation, they partnered with Goodwill to form Good Choice, which is a bank training center, if you will, that offers low fee short term loans along with financial counseling to help people get out of debt cycles and transition them away from dependency on these places. They basically created an alternative institution to address a social problem and to mend God's world. So there may be some of you here who are retired or nearing retirement or who have considerable experience or knowledge or expertise. Could God be calling you to help create something new in our community? To launch a new agency, to provide business coaching or startup financing for inner-city entrepreneurs? Or maybe you're in real estate or you're a builder. Maybe God is calling you to do something to address our city's affordable housing crisis. Whatever it is, vocational stewardship is recognizing that the work, skills, abilities, platform, influence, and position God has given you is not just for you, but it's meant to be a part of God's mission in the world, to love neighbor and to renew the broken creation that God is mending. Friends, work can be a complicated part of our lives. You know, we ask kids from the time they're little, what do you want to be when you grow up? What a fatal question. (laughs) As if what we do is what we are. And many of us, including myself, have suffered from aligning our work far too closely with our sense of self. I have often suffered believing that I need to prove my self-worth and demonstrate my value through my work and my performance. It's funny, because you need work to have a meaningful life, but work itself is a terrible meaning for life. But here's the good news about Jesus, is that first of all, Jesus saves us from our work. Jesus saves us so that we are no longer caught in the relentless pressure to prove ourselves and to secure our identity through our labor. In Christ, we are whole. You can fix any failure, any success, and yet in Christ, you are already whole and proven. You don't have to earn anything, be anything more than you already are. You are complete and whole in Christ. Jesus frees us from our work. But at the very same time, Jesus frees us for our work. He calls us now to be a part of what he's doing to renew all things. Like my dad inviting me to take up the hammer, or my mom inviting me to take up the cookbook, or the farmer inviting his child into his lap as he plows a field. In God's grace, he invites us into the work of renewing all things. We are not ultimately responsible for the outcome of that work any more than the child of the farmer is responsible for the harvest. But we are given this awesome and amazing privilege of joining with our king as he is bringing his kingdom to renew all creation. You will never have a life that is more meaningful and more beautiful than that. Thanks, to God. Let's pray. We do thank you, Lord that our work is part of what it means to be a human. And I pray for each person here, especially our young people, that they would consider how it is that you have made them, how it is that you have called them to be a part of what you're doing in the world, to love humanity, to mend what is broken, and to ultimately bring about your kingdom. I pray that you would give us a vision. You would set us free from our sin, and our self-justifying working, and that we be set free to work for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.